0: Wednesdays are now Epictetus days, which is long overdue, and you'll need to know something about these episodes. They're going to have an ad in the middle. Permit me to explain why, because previously in Marcus episodes and Seneca episodes, I haven't done that. But in Epictetus episodes, I am going to do that. So let me explain to you why, and then we'll move on quickly. We used to do an hour-long episode with two mid-roll ad breaks, as they're called, on Wednesdays. We cannot keep our network happy if we replace that content with content that only has two ads at the beginning of the program and then no others. That is a reality that we all together have to face. We have to keep the network happy because the network pays us. But there's good news. There will only be one mid-roll ad break in the Epictetus episodes, and they will be longer than Marcus and Seneca episodes. So hopefully the ads won't feel like they take up too large a portion of the total listen time. Also, I haven't said this, I don't think, yet, but after a meeting with our network, I convinced them to stop playing post-roll ads, which are the ads that happen at the end of an episode, because a lot of you who listen for free were mentioning that it seemed like there were too many ads. And it took me a minute to realize, but what was happening was you were hearing the last three ads that happen at the end of the episode, and then the first three ads that happen at the start of an episode, and it seemed like what you were getting was six ads, which is, I admit, very overwhelming. I would be annoyed by that. So I've killed off post-roll ads, as they're called. And now what you'll get at the beginning of a podcast episode is just two ads and then none at the end. And if there are mid-roll ads like there are in these and our Friday episodes, then you'll get those too. Hopefully, that's a nice middle ground. Folks who listen for free are enjoying this content for free, and so the toleration you have to deal with is ads. If you want to get out of that, though, hey, you know, it's pretty easy. You can just go to stoicismpod.com forward slash members and support us directly. We would really appreciate that. And you'd get rid of all those ads, which would be killer. That is all I'm going to say on that, because now, baby, it is Epictetus time. But first... Who is Epictetus? What is he best known for? And what can you expect from these Epictetus episodes? Epictetus was born in modern-day Turkey, Hierapolis, which at the time, I think, was in Phrygia. And I'm probably not saying those words correctly, but it doesn't matter. He was born in modern-day Turkey. He is decidedly Roman and was a slave to a particularly cruel master named Epaphrodotus, or something like that. I'm not great at pronouncing Greek names. Oh, by the way, Epictetus is sometimes Epictetus, and sometimes Epictetus, and sometimes, I swear to you, Epictetus, which I find particularly annoying, but some people use, and may in fact be the right way to say this fellow's name, but I say Epictetus. This owner, the one whose name i probably just butchered once beat epictetus so badly that he shattered his lower leg bones and left him in need of a crutch for life as a slave epictetus was permitted to study under musonius rufus another roman stoic frequently referred to as the fourth scholark of the stoic school a pretty important guy although to be clear officially not a scholark of the stoic school just sometimes referred to as if he were Epictetus was eventually released, or free, or bought himself out of slavery. I don't exactly know how he got out. I don't remember. And he wound up taking up a life of teaching philosophy to those looking to learn it, or, as was sometimes the case, looking to question and challenge it. His work is Discourses, which are, you guessed it, a series of discourses, and a series of discourses that we only have because a student, Arian, or Aryan, decided to write Epictetus's words, word for word, as he listened. This means nothing we have from Epictetus was written by Epictetus. Instead, it was spoken by him. We do know, however, that Epictetus was a real person, should anyone be concerned about that, and that the authenticity of these discourses is not in question. There's another work, the Enchiridion, also compiled by Arrian and which is sometimes referred to as the handbook. This work is something like a collection of highlights and takeaways from the Discourses, maybe a digest, a handbook, you know, hence the name. It's not exactly like that, but it's close enough, I think. You get the gist. For this series on Epictetus, we're going to read from the Enchiridion, not from Discourses. We're using the online copy made available by MIT and translated by Elizabeth Carter, who was an English poet, writer, translator, and importantly here, classicist. She was born in 1717 in Kent, England. The reason the Enchiridion is valuable, even though it's just a compilation of sorts, if we're thinking of it that way, maybe even an actionable digest, like I said before, is that there were eight books of Discourses, of which only four survive. so having the Enchiridion on top of those four surviving books is a way of getting a peek at some of the content of the books we don't have. The reason we, and by we I mean this podcast production, haven't delved into Epictetus earlier than now is that he's intense, to say the least, and he's less easy to break down, And digest than Marcus or Seneca, which makes him, in a way, less accessible, in my opinion, to those just starting out than those other two authors, or even most modern authors. That is to say, contemporary authors who write on Stoicism. For these episodes, you can expect a general format like this I'll greet you and prep you for some of what's to come in the discourse we'll be sharing. We'll then drop into an ad break and return to share the discourse itself and my interpretation of it. I will try very hard to make these episodes 30 minutes long and place the ad breaks generally as close to the middle of things as possible. I don't want people to feel that the ad break is too disruptive or too close to the start or end of things. Ideally, the ad break happens and you get a few minutes to kind of digest what you've just heard and prepare to hear the actual discourse and discussion following it. So with that, I will, right now, in fact, take an ad break, and when I return, share the first discourse from Book 1 of the Enchiridion. Stay with me. And I'm back. On to the first discourse of Epictetus as recorded by Arian. These discourses are not formally titled, and it is incredibly important to note that the contemporary language used in the translation of the original Koine Greek does not always lend itself to a useful understanding, let's say, of what Epictetus was really saying. But don't worry, that is why I am here. Okay, here we go. Discourse 1 from the Enchiridion. Some things are in our control and others not. Things in our control are opinion, pursuit, desire, aversion, and, in a word, whatever are our own actions. Things not in our control are body, property, reputation, command, and, in one word, whatever are not our own actions. The things in our control are by nature free, unrestrained, unhindered, but those not in our control are weak, slavish, Restrained, and belonging to others. Remember then that if you suppose that things which are slavish by nature are also free, and that what belongs to others is your own, then you will be hindered, you will lament, you will be disturbed, and you will find fault both with gods and men. But if you suppose that only to be your own which is your own, and what belongs to others, such as it really is, then no one will ever compel you or restrain you. Further, you will find fault with no one or accuse no one. You will do nothing against your will. No one will hurt you. You will have no enemies and you will not be harmed. Aiming, therefore, at such great things, remember that you must not allow yourself to be carried, even with a slight tendency, towards the attainment of lesser things. Instead, You must entirely quit some things and, for the present, postpone the rest. But if you would both have these great things, along with power and riches, then you will not gain even the latter, because you aim at the former, too. But you will absolutely fail of the former, by which alone happiness and freedom are achieved. Work, therefore, and be able to say to every harsh appearance, you are but an appearance, and not absolutely the thing you appear to be, and then examine it by those rules which you have, and first and chiefly by this, whether it concerns the things which are in our own control or those which are not. And if it concerns anything not in our control, be prepared to say that it is nothing to you. Have you heard the phrase dichotomy of control before? If so, this is exactly where contemporary obsession, within Stoicism adjacent circles anyway, with control, originates. If not, you'll learn of that saying today. Epictetus is telling us that there are things in this world which we have the ability to determine, that we have the ability to choose, and those things are our own actions. This can be extended to include some of our emotions, Hating and rage are the results of a choice, for example, and we'll get into that in a future episode. All of our actions and all of our attitudes towards things, people, and situations. Beyond this limited list, nothing else is within our power to determine or choose. We cannot choose how others behave. We cannot choose the health or fitness of our bodies either. To be sure, we can influence these things in a preferred direction. For example, we could eat and go to the gym regularly, but we cannot choose them absolutely. Why? Well, sticking with the fitness and health example, while we can influence our bodies towards healthfulness and a fit state, we can't choose whether or not we have a stroke and lose the use of our bodies altogether, thereby losing the ability to, for example, Run, do pull ups, or jump rope. Such a thing as a stroke and its effect on our bodies would not preclude us from continuing to make what choices we could still make to influence the direction of healthfulness and fitness. For example, we might be able to leverage emerging technologies to still do some sort of exercise with our now changed bodies. The point is that we always have the ability to choose some things but we cannot choose all things. In fact, we cannot choose most things. We can choose within a very limited spectrum of possibilities, and the breadth of that limited spectrum is determined by all those things which we cannot control. Fate, or happenstance, if you prefer, gives us no legs, as an example. Let's say that happened. That means we can't run the way someone with two normative legs can run. But it doesn't mean we can't run, necessarily. We could use prosthetics and still run, though differently than if we had two functioning normative legs. But it might be the case that we have no legs and no money for such advanced prosthetics, or we live in a part of the world where we can't get that sort of thing. But we could still perhaps choose to save our money, buy materials, and build our own prosthetics with 3D printing technologies, perhaps. And then we could still run, but again, differently. So, again, and I'm saying again a lot the point is that there is always a limit, a very real and very hard limit to what we can choose for ourselves. For example, even if a ludicrous one, no matter how much you want, as a human woman, to be able to give birth to a child the way that chickens do, you will never be able to choose to lay an egg you just don't have the ability to choose that outcome. Okay, you get it, but what's the benefit of getting it? Simply that by getting it, you save yourself a lot of misery. If you don't get that there are limitations to what you can choose for yourself and others and the world, then one of at least two things is going to happen to you. One you're going to be constantly bashing your face against the metaphoric brick wall of those limitations and wind up with a metaphoric ugly bloody face because you won't accept that faces don't have the power to break through brick walls. And you're going to do a great amount of damage to the quality of your life if you don't accept this and act accordingly, e.g. stop banging your face into a brick wall with the hopes that you'll break through it or two you're never going to have the time necessary to develop those parts of your existence which you do have the ability to exercise choice and or control if you prefer over if you're obsessed with laying eggs and you spend your whole life bashing your face up against the brick wall of humans can't lay eggs You'll never nurture and develop those parts of yourself that you actually can nurture and develop. For example, a contented and peaceful mind. Now, you may be encouraged to say something here like, but if I'm a person with no legs and I choose simply to accept I'll never run instead of trying to run through some means, I'm just giving up and accepting my scenario as it is. And that's very defeatist. Stoicism and Epictetus sound defeatist. And you would be right if that's what Epictetus was suggesting, but that is not what he's suggesting. Epictetus is instead suggesting you use your rational faculty, your brain, to know when you can choose to run through some other means, like buying or building prosthetics, and when you can do no such thing. And to only pursue those things, you reason to be within your ability to choose, which is very different than saying... You have no legs, you should just accept it and give up trying to run, it's over. You absolutely should accept you have no legs in this example, because that's a reality and something you can't change. You can't just grow a new pair of human legs, yet, anyway, but that doesn't preclude pursuing an improvement to your situation that you can choose. However, always keep in mind and be prepared for your limitations and what those limitations do. And don't mean. Epictetus believes having a mastery of this ability to identify what you can and cannot choose is so paramount to the fulfillment of your human potential, which we know from other episodes of this podcast is to develop a virtuous character, that Arian was compelled to make it the very first thing you read in the Enchiridion, which should say something. Namely, that everything Epictetus teaches stems from this understanding. The dichotomy of control is like the PhD thesis of Epictetus. Its popularity is, I think, his great contribution to the philosophy of Stoicism at large. You cannot become virtuous if you falsely believe you have the ability to choose or determine things you cannot choose or determine. Because to believe you have power you don't have is a false and therefore inappropriate impression, and sages don't hold false impressions, or more appropriately, they do not assent to them. Epictetus also talks about impressions directly at the tail end of Enchiridion 1 when he says, quote, you are but an appearance and not absolutely the thing you appear to be, end quote. In this context, he's referencing something we'll likely cover at great length in a future Epictetus episode, the ability to never hold an inappropriate opinion, based entirely on out-of-control emotions or poor reasoning, or both. Probably both. For now, though, we must wrap things up and turn the page on Enchiridion 1, for it is time to say goodbye. I hope you got something out of today's episode and I hope you're excited about the Enchiridion and Epictetus and learning more about both in the weeks and months to come. If you'd like to join our active community of listeners, please go to stoicismpod.com forward slash discord and jump into any of our channels. The episode follow-up channel may be the best place to start to provide your thoughts on this episode, for example. Thanks again for listening and until next time, Take care.